Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Praise the Lord for His grace. He is an awesome God. Something definitely to be very excited about. Uh, so I have several announcements uh, that all studies and weekday meetings are on break for now um, until the new year, and there'll be more about that later when they kick off again. Um, the draft roster is done, so there's a draft out in the foyer, so please uh, take a look at that if it needs to be adjusted. Make those necessary adjustments, and also an email will come through that you can uh, respond to and make sure that it's all good. Um, Christmas service is at the normal time next week, so 10 a.m. It's a Sunday, so normal starting time. It'll be an abbreviated uh, Christmas service for families, so all the kids will be in here as well. Finally, if you want WhatsApps, what WhatsApp notifications? Uh, WhatsApps, yeah, what WhatsApp, right? If you want that, if you want notifications from the church, uh, you can sign up in the foyer as well. I don't think I've announced that publicly yet, but feel free to uh, sign up. So we'll be in Genesis chapter thirty today, and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being our Father, for causing us to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ and giving us a new life, giving us an abundant life, both now and in heaven forever with you. And we're so grateful for the promises you've given us, for your word that is true, that we can count on what you've said, that what you've said you will, you will perform, and that you protect us and provide for us and guide us every step. And we thank you that you have been so attentive to our needs and your plans and purposes are good and not for evil, to help us, not harm us. And thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to open your word together, and we pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would find fertile ground and bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Photoshop filters, that's something common in today's society, to, to alter your appearance, to maybe hide a blemish, to uh, present something uh, how you want to be presented. Um, I don't know what the stats are on how many selfies it takes to get the perfect one, but it's usually more than one. Uh, and you, exp you, you get the lighting adjusted so everything looks right and you don't want to be washed out or in the shadows. And What's interesting about God's word, it has quite the opposite effect. It shows God in truth. It shows what righteousness is. And in light of him, it exposes our flaws that really we cannot hide, uh, that we are exposed as we really are. When we see God as he is, we see ourselves in truth, that we are by our, in our nature liars, hypocrites, selfish, proud, uh, that we lack righteousness and we need forgiveness, that we need a savior. And God's presented his word as an accurate portrait of himself. We don't read the Bible because we hope it's true or we believe it's true. We read it and trust it because it is true. That's why we place our life now and our eternal future. Um, we say we believe this. is. We know this is the truth. So we follow this because this is God's word. He has spoken. There's no need for revision. It's factual, objective. In his prophecy, Balaam said of God in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? If anyone says they've never told a lie, you can know one thing. 
They are lying. You can know that for certain. But God always keeps his word. If you want someone to tell you the truth, we ask to put it in writing. Like your words, okay, you can say anything, but put that down and I'll hold you accountable to what you've said. Now God took the initiative to do this by giving us his written word. He wrote it down so that we could read it and we could measure up to see if if he uh, actually keeps his word or not. And he has every time. Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So the people that God promised to, they were the ones who said, God told us the truth. He followed through on everything he told us. And they were an authority who could say that because he had promised to them, you know if someone has kept their word to you or not. And they affirmed that everything God said has come to pass. Now, our passage today focuses on two men notorious for not telling the truth, for obscuring the truth, for not keeping their word. Jacob lied and pretended he was Esau to get his, fam- his father's blessing. Laban lied and deceived Jacob. He said, you can work seven years for my daughter, Rachel, and then tricked him into marrying Leah instead. Laban continued his deceitful ways. We see Jacob growing in humility and integrity. He's working faithfully while Laban continued his shady dealings. And the God who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and kept his word, his word remains true for us and for our children after us. So starting in Genesis 30, verse 25, we pick up the passage. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Jacob, I worked seven years for Rachel was tricked into consummating a marriage with Leah. And then he says, well, if you really want Rachel, you'll work another seven years for her and you can marry her in seven days. And he had already worked seven years for Rachel. So he's like, I want Rachel as wife. That's what I worked for. And in verse 25, where our passage begins, it coincides with the end of Jacob's 14 years of service. So he'd been married for seven years at that time. And in that time, he had 11 sons and a daughter by two wives and two concubines. And so his time fulfilled. He's like, let me go. It's time for me to go. Send me back. And so he asked him politely, please send me back to my family. uh, And I've done my job here. And Laban's not happy about this. He's like, please stay. I've learned by experience that God's blessed me for your sake. Now, literally it says, I've learned by divination. So by divination, I have learned that God blessed me because of you. So he's like his good luck charm. He's like, I want you to stick around because because of you, I have been blessed. I have been enriched and I want that prosperity to continue. He says, name your price. I want you to stay. The God who blessed Jacob, he made him a blessing to his father-in-law who was a schemer, a conniver, a cheat. He's relying on divination rather than the God of Israel the God of Jacob. And Laban, he's really observant, isn't he? Because he recognizes that it was God who was doing the blessing and why he was blessed, that it was through Jacob working for him. 
And a lot of people, I think, when we receive a blessing, we attribute it to our hard work or our uh, taking initiative or being at the right place at the right time. But really, it was God who did the blessing and Laban knew it. He's like, Jacob is blessed and I want to be blessed too. And because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, this principle holds true. The same dynamic is at work in families and in cities and in countries. Because of one person who loves the Lord and is faithful to him, a business is more productive and profitable. Because of one Christian who fears God, that hospital ward, that job site is more peaceful because of one person. They are blessed because they, the Lord knows them and is blessing them. I think about a marriage being blessed by a God-fearing spouse or unbelieving households that are abundantly provided for because of the faith of a child who lives there. Because God knows his people and he blesses them and makes them a blessing to others. May God open our eyes to see that. That he, he is a blessing and he blesses those. It's like because of a gathering of Christians in a house, in a community, a city and country is blessed by God because he is there and he is a blessing. So as we put our hands to the plow in laboring, whether it's business or volunteer work or in your own garden, may blessing from the Lord for your sake be poured out on others and God get the credit for it. May that be. Picking up in verse 29. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Jacob had been a great asset to the family business. It had multiplied exponentially since he, took, took, he came on board 14 years previously. We read when Jacob arrived in Haran, there was Rachel coming with a flock. It was just a flock of sheep. And it had grown to a great size. And he gives God credit for it. Notice that Jacob doesn't talk about his innovations or his hard work or, you know, you country bumpkins, I've taught you how to really raise sheep or something. Like he, he's like, God did it. God caused this to happen. He had worked for 14 years. He had a large family, but he's like, well, how am I going to provide for them? I provided all this for you. God's blessed me. Yes, he's blessed me in, with a marriage and with children, but how can I provide for my family? Because really all that time he's working for free. Can you imagine working 14 years for free? You don't have a house. You don't have a sheep or a goat, a camel, a donkey, a, an ox to call, your, to call your own. And that would provide milk and meat and wool for clothing. And how are you going to feed these dozen children that you have? With what? So Laban says, what shall I give you? And he says, nothing. 
If you agree to my plan, I'll go through the flock and I'll pick out every sheep that's spotted or speckled or streaked, the, the lambs that are brown, and those will be my wages. And that was sweet music to Laban's ears. He could not have dreamed or thought of a better plan. It's likely the vast majority of Laban's flocks were white because that's the, pro, that's the genetic uh, a dominant trait. Spotted or streaked wool is a recessive trait. And so there would have been a lot of white sheep or white goats, plain colored goats, but not many speckled or streaked. And hey, this is great because you'd be able to tell whose was whose. You would be able to um, protect, like Jacob would have a vested interest in providing for this flock and keeping it healthy because should they bear streaked or spotted, they were his wages. So certainly it seemed like a really good deal protected Laban's share from theft. And Jacob says, I believe in time God's going to show my righteousness by increasing my, my share. And Laban's like, awesome. Now verse 35. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted. All the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and fed, Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now the he that we read of there is not Jacob. The he is Laban. After the deal is agreed to, Laban pulls another fast one on Jacob that he tends to do. He picks out all the speckled and spotted. He removes them from the flock and puts them into the care of his own sons. Laban had sons. They weren't Jacob's sons. His oldest was barely seven years old, so he wasn't keeping the flocks at that time. Now, why did Laban do this? Well, he isolated Jacob's sheep under his protective custody to ensure that Jacob stayed. He was holding the money. He took his wages and he said, that I am going to take with me. It also prevented his sheep from breeding with the other sheep. And so he could control the, the dominant gene and allow his amount to grow while Jacob's could be controlled. And he put a three days journey between them so there was no chance they could intermingle to get those genetics into the flock. So Jacob's left with this massive flock of Laban's sheep and goats. Not a speckled or streaked or spotted one among everything that Jacob has to look after. Laban was a shrewd man. He was, he was a schemer. He was greedy. He didn't change the agreement, but he definitely tweaked it to benefit himself, right? He was willing to take or to prevent Jacob from gaining more so he could be enriched. Sometimes we hear of corporate greed being maligned, and perhaps rightly so, yet greed goes back to the beginning. Long before corporations or money changers in the temple, because greed is not a corporate problem. It's a personal problem. It's a sin that leads others, it leads you to cheat or to sweeten the deal in your favor at the expense of others. Now, contentment in God and what he pro provides that keeps us from the snare of greed, and you don't need to be wealthy to be greedy. Having great wealth is not a cure. It will not cure you of your greed. It may just exacerbate it. It's no sin to have great possessions or money, but the love of money, the desire for more, and to be unethical, it's dangerous and destructive. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 6, chap, 
chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. He writes, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The true gain, it's found in godliness, not the increase of your net worth. Greed will justify immoral or unethical means to increase wealth like what Laban did to Jacob. But like envy, greed's not content with God's provision. It doesn't trust him for the future. It looks to your own means to increase your wealth. And it's not just a problem, greed, for occultic diviners, but for believers, because that's why Paul is warning the church, saying greed has caused believers to stray from the faith and to pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So it's brought pain and destruction into people's lives because they have not recognized and confessed that sin. Verse 37, back in Genesis chapter 30. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they could conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Jacob's got this very white flock. And there's this three-day journey between them, and he starts putting rods of different trees in the watering troughs the poplar, almond, and chestnut trees. He, he scrapes off some of the bark, ironically making them look streaked. And then as the ewes came to drink, he brought the males to breed with them. And there's been a lot of conjecture about the rods and the water, what actually is going on, that Jacob had over time learned that these rods increased fertility, like they would conceive more easily among the rods, or maybe there were chemicals that were released from the sap of, of, or in the bark, that would impact the appearance of the lambs that were conceived there. And the study of genetics, it shows us that even though a sheep may appear white, it can still carry the recessive trait. And if two of those were to mix, well then you could have a streaked offspring. As we'll read on, God worked in spite of Laban, in spite of the rods, in spite of Jacob, and genetics, so that Laban's flocks were bringing forth streaked and speckled and those numbers kept growing. Verse 40. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Over the course of time, Jacob's speckled and spotted uh, flock grew larger, and he began to separate them. So he would separate them, and then they would only bring forth streaked and spotted, right? He's a very clever man. Uh, he was selective in the use of the rods that he would put before them. If they were weak, he didn't put them in. 
If they were stronger, he did. And so over time, there was this great shift within his once only white flock that was now speckled and spotted. And that stock was stronger than Laban's, which was growing increasingly feeble. And we know that he did this for six years. So this process repeated two or three times a year as they were bearing. And it says in Genesis 31, 41, that this is what Jacob said to Laban when he left. He said, thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. So over six years, there's this massive shift within his uh, holdings that there are a lot of quality lambs and goats and rams. And I just think, put yourself in, in Jacob's sandals for a moment. He's worked for 14 years. He has nothing to show for it besides his family, which is awesome, but like how is he going to provide for them? And then they make an agreement, my, the speckled and spotted me by wages, and suddenly Laban takes this burning, intense interest in animal husbandry. And he goes in among the flock, and he selects all the sheep and the goats, and he withdraws them. He takes them away. How would you feel? You wouldn't know what kind of care they're getting. He could, his sons may not have even been shepherds. I don't know. But he's taken, Jacob has worked and through his efforts and by God's grace, this flock has increased and grown. And now Laban comes and he takes them all away to put with his sons. Especially after you've been lied to, it would be right to feel suspicious or bitter or resentful and be almost careless about Laban's sheep. But Jacob was not careless. He worked hard. He put everything into it for Laban's sheep. He fed them. He watered them. Laban had learned by divination he was blessed for Jacob's sake. And by fruitful labor, God blessed Jacob for the Lord's sake. God promoted, God blessed, God helped Jacob in a tough work environment when someone had been taken advantage of him. And it is tough when you're working hard and it feels like someone else has been promoted. Your hard work has been overlooked. You don't get the bonus that other people have received. You've been toiling and scraping by while others are living large. And if you feel like others are greedy and taking advantage of you, know that God's providing some insight into your own tendency to greed. Because we're not necessarily content just with wages or having a job. We want the bonus too. We don't want our wages taken away. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22. So for anyone who is in a difficult work environment or a place where you feel you are victimized by someone's greed... This is what Paul wrote to Christians in the early church, people who were bondservants or slaves. Colossians 3.22, Bondservants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, this is a wonderful truth. We work unto the Lord, 
knowing that he will reward us, not with stock options or holidays or money, but with the inheritance, the reward of the inheritance. I mean, to be accepted into the family of God, to be forgiven, to be washed clean of all of our sin, to be reconciled with our creator, to have a place in his eternal kingdom and purpose here in his presence within us. I mean, it's, it's glorious what God has done. I mean, what on earth can compare with the place that God has set apart for us in the kingdom of God, both here and for eternity? Is there anything that even comes close? Nothing. But in the moment, when we are frustrated with a difficult situation, we can forget who God is and what he's promised and all that he is for us. Back to Genesis 31, starting in verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Over years passing, there was this obvious shift. There was a disparity between the flock of Laban and the flock of Jacob. Remember, it was easy to tell one from the other. And over time, even at a distance, you're like, where there are a lot of speckled and spotted sheep. Is there even a white one among them anymore? And the sons of Laban noticed it. And likely what they're saying is hyperbole. They're like, he's taken everything that belonged to our fathers. But Jacob picked up on that. There was a bit of bitterness there. They are looking at their potential inheritance dwindling down day by day, year by year, their flocks being absorbed by Jacob's over time. And they accuse him of theft. He's stolen it from us. He's taken it away. He's redistributed this wealth for himself. And then Jacob's looking at Laban, and Laban's cool towards him. There's no friendliness that there used to be. It wasn't like business is good. He, he was bitter towards him. And he had the strong sense that finally, after 20 years, he had worn out his welcome. Then the Lord spoke to Jacob and commanded him to return with a promise to the land of Canaan. He says, I will be with you. And God's word affirmed what Jacob had been hearing and seeing, that it was finally time to depart. I like that Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. He saw the face of Laban, that he wasn't favorable as before but he stayed. He didn't leave because it became tough, because he felt like people were against him or hating him. He stayed until God said something. God directed him to go. Then he took action. This is so important. He kept tending the female uh, and male servants, the donkeys, the camels, the sheep, the goats. He kept at it until God told him to move on. The Lord who met him in Bethel, he now met with him and told him, it's time to return. I will be with you. Think of all the times that Jacob, or the reasons Jacob had, he could have left if he walked according to sight. He might have left after the first month because of the things that he saw and heard, but because God had brought him there, he stayed there. It was a tough, he was a tough boss to work for, tough uncle. But Jacob stayed where God led him until the Lord spoke to him. And we'll see that he communicated in a dream to him as he had in Bethel. 
Now, how good it is for our family, our place of employment, the place where we live, to be guided by God, that we are going where he leads us. Because we know he will provide for us. He will help us. Whether it's to a job or within a church. Like by faith in him we stay and then by faith in his word when he speaks to us we move. I think of Abraham's case where Sarah's like send this bond woman and her son away. Isaac is not going to to be, uh, he's not going to be an heir with Isaac. Abraham, did he immediately go, oh that's, that's right. No. He waited and God stepped in. God spoke and said, listen to your wife. She's right. Sarah's correct. You need to send them on their way. Jacob was prepared by what he heard and what he saw to respond to God's word in due time. And it just struck me how easily I can be swayed by things other than God's word. By something I hear or I see, it prompts me to want to do something rather than waiting on him and trusting he has everything in hand. He knows where he's leading me. He's able to provide right here for his glory. The things we see in here, it should not have more weight than what God has said and what he is saying. So we ought to seek him. Verse four. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob summons his wife to the field, his wives to the field, uh, Rachel and Leah. This was a place where they could speak in private. Uh, Tent curtains are not really a a way where you could have a private conversation. And he had 24 little ears that would also be hearing these things. And all the servants. So he brought them out to the field where he could have this conversation privately with them about his future plans. Because he's not, he is concerned about Laban. He's concerned about Laban's sons uh, doing something to him. It's very potential, it's, it's quite a, a possibility So he's like, you know how I've served your father. I've served with integrity day and night. I've worked hard. And yet Laban has deceived me. He's changed my wages 10 times. Now this could mean that he literally lied to him only 10 times. It's probably better said countless times. Uh, Numbers 14, 22 is a good example. God says of the spies who went to Canaan, he's like, they saw all my miracles in Egypt. Well, there were 10 of them. And then he saw all my mirac- they saw my miracles in the wilderness. There were a lot of miracles there. And then he said, they had tempted him these 10 times. So he's saying, they saw all the miracles, they saw all the plagues, and yet these 10 times they have tempted me. So it's just to say many times, countless times. Jacob had been deceived countless times, but God protected him. God kept him from physical harm, from financial ruin. And what we see in Jacob's view, he doesn't talk about the rods, does he? It's a bit of a red herring because he's not saying, yeah, that poplar and almond and chess, and I figured out how that works. It's a good thing, too, because he would have robbed me of everything. No, he's like, God did it. When Legum looks at the flock, he's like, man, there's a lot of streaked and speckled. He's like, you know what? That deal wasn't so good. I'm thinking just the streaked are yours. Guess what's being born? 
streaked. It's like the speckled, the speckled, that's, that's going to be your payment. Okay, just the speckled. Speckled. Didn't matter. God was just showing himself strong on Jacob's behalf. Verse 10. And it happened, Jacob speaking, at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Jacob now shares with his wives the dream that God had given to him and how he had spoken, that the angel of the Lord spoke to him. And this word leaped upon, it's basically mating. So the rams that were mating with all the ewes, he said, look at all of them. See how they're all streaked and spotted? I know what Laban's been doing, and I'm going to make sure that you are provided for. God knew Laban's schemes how he took away the sheep and goats that were Jacob's wages. It would have been very disheartening to just have a white flock and like none of them were yours. But his righteousness did speak. His righteousness by faith in God, God preserved him, God provided for him. And it's good for us to take this to heart too. When people are scheming against you, whether you know about the scheme or not, God is for you. And if you put your faith in him, you know that he will help you. He will protect you and provide for you. And he said in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. God had kept his word to Jacob to be with him, to supply him all his needs. And now God reminds Jacob of the vow he made with him. He's like, I heard what you said when you anointed that pillar. When that rock that you used as a pillow, you put it on end and you poured oil over it and you said, if God brings me back, if God provides for me and gives me food and clothing, then he will be my God. And God's like, I heard that. Now you keep your word to me. Now you return at my word. And he had said, made that promise in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Jacob was to now arise to make good on his word and return to his father's house. So if the Lord was his God, he would obey him and heed him and offer to God what God had given him. Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. This is the one time that we read of Leah and Rachel agreeing on something. Total agreement. Pretty miraculous. They know the character of their father well. They had grown up with him from their youth. They saw how he took advantage of Jacob, how he sought to deceive him doesn't seem they had a close or happy relationship with their dad. They perhaps felt like they were only pawns in his, his efforts to enrich himself, to like a commodity to be traded away and be like, okay, she served her purpose. I've got seven years of labor out of one and seven years out of the other. And there was no closeness. 
And then Laban was squandering the wealth that he had. The income that Jacob was giving could have been used to support them and their families, but it wasn't. And they agreed. There was nothing whatsoever that bound them to stay. There was no reason to stay. There was no affection. There was no inheritance. And they acknowledged that God, yes, has taken the goods of our father and given them to us and our children. Divine provision. And they said, now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Whatever God says, do it. I love how God united their hearts to leave their homeland that they likely have never left and to go a place they've never gone in faith in God, being led by Jacob who feared God. Leaving Haran would not be easy. We're going to talk about that soon. And God does not always lead us in the easy way. It's not a way that we've ever gone before when we're trusting Jesus, when we're following his word. He's going to lead us in ways where we're like, couldn't it be easier? <laughs> well, yeah, but then we wouldn't need to trust him, would we? We can know that God will keep his word, that he will do miraculously, and what he says we should do. We know that, and it's always a challenge for us to do that, to put it into practice. Think of Luke 5. The disciples have toiled all night fishing, right? Not caught a single fish. Peter, reluctantly at the command of Jesus, says, we fished all night, caught nothing, yet at your word I will let down the net. What happened? They couldn't pull it back in because it was so full of fish. They called another boat over. And then they're trying both to hoist the net. The net is breaking. The boats are sinking. At the word of Jesus, they caught fish, all these fish, more than they could pull in when they hadn't caught one on their own the whole night before. Jesus, he attends a wedding in Cana of Galilee. They ran out of wine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is like, they have no wine. I'm like, is that a hint? Anyway, they have no wine. He says, what does your concern have to do with me? He makes no promise to help, but Mary knows that Jesus will do something. He can do something. And Jesus, uh, John 2, 5, it says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And there were these six large pots where they would use for ceremonial cleansing. And they filled them with water. And I have, like, as you're making the trips back and forth from the well, you're like, how is this going to make us wine? How does this deal with the wine problem? We don't need more water. We actually need wine, and that doesn't come from water. It comes from grapes. How is this going to accomplish anything as you're going back and forth, back and forth, lugging that water, filling those to the brim? And then he says in John 2, verse 8, he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Isn't this wonderful that the master calls the bridegroom, and he's like, man, you have really... It's surprising what you've done because everyone puts out the best first. You know, he had. He had put out the best first, the best he could muster, and it wasn't enough. And yet, 
At the word of Jesus, this water becomes wine and it is the best. It is the best yet. And he's like, nobody does this, but you've saved the best until now. These passages all have a common thread. Jacob's inability to overcome Laban's schemes and dishonesty, empty nets after a hard night's work, running out of wine during a wedding when you've already given your best and it's not enough. In all these cases, God was at work to supply needs, to give directives, and reveal the best is yet to come for those who trust and obey him. God sees your situation. He's able to help you. He sees and hears everything that's happened to you. He also knows what you have said. So the question isn't, is God going to be faithful to his word? Will he do as he said? But will we obey his word and do what we have said? Will we keep our word to him, to others, to walk in integrity? God has spoken. He will make it good. Even if it takes 20 years or more. It's a long time, 20 years, to serve Uncle Laban. But let's trust God. Let's do according to his word so we might proclaim his goodness to all. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are an awesome God, that you are a provider, that you speak, that you speak through your word that we read. You speak to our hearts in, in, in alignment with your word. And thank you for the things that we can see and hear and how we have this testimony of your faithfulness to help Jacob when he couldn't help himself, when he was afraid, you supplied his needs. You didn't allow him to suffer any loss. And Lord, I thank you that um, those who put their hope in Jesus will never be ashamed, that you have given us life and an abundant life, and that the best is yet to come. We thank you, Lord, that you're a redeemer, that you will use even difficult situations to draw us to yourself, that you don't choose the easy path. You give us the impossible path so that we might see that you have done it. You have been faithful. You have been our provider, our protector, and the one who guides us now and for eternity. Lord, we love you and thank you again for your faithfulness to us, that your word is true, and that you will never leave or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.